But what a joy it is that we know that our Redeemer lives and that our Redeemer loves us so much that we are precious in his sight. And he gives us his word. He gives us beautiful songs, gifts, and talents to people who write these words. And so this morning, we're going to pick it up in Titus chapter 2. And we're going to be going over verses 6 through 10. But let's pray first. Lord Jesus, how wonderful it is that um, we are precious in your sight, Lord. And Oh, we know how undeserving we are. We know our frailties. We know our ways, Lord, and and you do too. And that doesn't stop you from loving us and caring for us and wanting to pour into our hearts, Lord, and to you have that desire to make us in your image, Lord. And we just want to yield ourselves this morning to you, to your word and Holy Spirit, that you would um, pierce our hearts, Lord, and our minds, that we would be changed through your word, Lord, that uh, we would be challenged in areas that you want to challenge us in, that we don't walk out as we came in, Lord, that we were just more like Jesus. In your precious name we pray, amen. So if you want, let's open up to Titus 6, or Titus 2, verses 6 through 10. I'm going to read them. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. Not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And as I was reading and studying these verses, I was thinking back to our years in Europe. And um, each year in August, we would have a missions conference in Austria. And it was a place of refuge, for me at least. It was a place to go and to just be poured into, uh, just like Paul is pouring into Titus in, in this book, and, and growing him for the work of the ministry. And the people in Austria, we would have, you know, uh, all the missionaries, pastors, leaders from different uh, countries in Europe come together for one week. We would get waited on. <laughs> Uh, didn't have to do any dishes or anything like that, but the word was just poured into us. The encouragement was poured into us for an entire week, and then even in times of fellowship that we would have, you know, during our breaks and stuff like that, we would be able to sit with one another and share the things that the Lord was doing in our churches, and sometimes in the, you know, we would come exhausted. We would come ready to throw in the towel and ready to pack up our suitcases and, and go back to the States or something like that. But by Friday, the conference ended on Saturday, but by Friday, we're rearing to go. We're rearing to go back into our churches and to do the work of the Lord and to pour into the men and women in our churches and raise them up and encourage them to also do the work of the ministry. Um, we could encourage each other, which was always good. 
And so here we start in verse 6. Paul says, likewise, Titus, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. He's continuing a thought because in the beginning verses of chapter 2, he's speaking mainly about the women in the church. But here he's saying, likewise, the same thing for the, uh, them. Also for you, Titus, to exhort the young men, urge those young men to be sober-minded. Urge those men that they would have clarity of thought, because it's very important, because so many things come into our minds, right? We're not even thinking about it. We're not even inviting those things. And we kind of make jokes as women about like, oh, yeah, all of a sudden this thing just popped in my head. And usually we find that when we're in a time of prayer, when we said, you know what, today is the day and this is the hour and I am going to lock my door, lock the kids out of the house, and I'm just going to sit before the Lord and pray. And then all of a sudden we we start like, dear Lord, or however we start it. And all of a sudden, everything else comes into our heads. And before we know it, we're not even praying. We're thinking about things that um, are popping into our head. It's like um, if you had a ball of yarn, and then before you know it, you know, the cat gets to it, and there's pieces all over your living room floor or your prayer closet or wherever you are. It's like everything is just going in different directions rather than having that clarity of mind and that, um, that purpose of heart to just sit before the Lord. Um, in the B part of 2 Corinthians 10.5, the Bible says that we are to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of the Lord. Every thought. It's not just some. It's every single thought we're supposed to bring into captivity before the Lord. We're not responsible. I've heard it said that, you know, when something pops into your head, but it's what do we do with that thought? What do we do when it comes to our head? Do we entertain it? Do we dwell on it? Or do we hand it over to the Lord and say, Lord, this isn't right? Because a lot of our thoughts aren't right. We just have to be honest about it. We're going in directions. We're going in ways that God doesn't want us to go in. And so we need to be obedient to what Paul says in Corinthians, that we bring those thoughts into captivity. How we respond to those thoughts that come to us is our responsibility. We're responsible for what we do with them. We don't want to entertain those thoughts in our head that would lead us away from the Lord. He's given us a sound mind. And this was important for Paul to tell Titus, to tell these guys, be sober-minded. Be able to think clearly. Have clearness and clarity of mind and thought in every area of your life. Not just some things, not just the easy things, but in every area of our lives, the Lord wants us to be sober-minded. Luke ten twenty-seven says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We can't forget, a lot of times we're really good at loving him with our heart, our soul, and our strength, but sometimes we leave our mind on the counters. You know, we forget that our thoughts, the Lord knows what our thoughts are, right? And so we're to love him with all of our mind, not just partially. 
And then we get into verses 7 and 8, right in the middle of chapter 2, right in the center here where Paul is going and talking to Titus about how to raise up the leaders and what the qualities of leadership you should be looking for and what you need to be uh, talking to them about. But then he turns his attention from what Titus should be doing in other people's lives to Titus's own life, to Titus's own walk with the Lord and his responsibilities. He's going to remind Titus. And I was really struck by this. I didn't catch it. <laughs> you know, in the, a couple months ago when I was reading it, I really didn't catch it that Paul switched gears here and started focusing on Titus and his relationship with God. And it reminded me that we can do all kinds of things for the Lord. We can mentor others. We can disciple others. And we can be so busy pouring into other people's lives, into our kids' lives, our grandkids' lives, which is so important. But not at the lack or substitute of what God wants to do in our own life. And the reminder that God is challenging us each and every day. He's reminding us, where are you at You're so busy telling everybody else what they need to be doing, which is great. But take some quiet time. Before you go to them, come to me. Come to me and allow me to examine your heart. Allow me to clear your mind up of things that you've put in there. He tells Titus, um, Titus, you need to be a model of what is good. Make your lifestyle a model that others would want to look up to and follow after. And, um, you know, maybe when we were little, we all dreamed about being a model if we watched Miss America contests or things like that. And uh, I had an uncle, two uncles, that used to tell me I'd be Miss America one day. And I, they were my favorite uncles. And um, <laughs> unfortunately, they were on the they were like divorced, so they weren't my uncles anymore. So there went that dream. But... Um, We have a chance, we have opportunities in life to be models, to be role models to other people, first and foremost in our own families. Uh, A lot of times we can come in here and we can be great role models for other people, then we get home and we start screaming at our kids. You know, it's just like we feel we can let our hands down and let our hair down and just go for it at home. But the Lord wants us to be good role models. Wherever your sphere of influence is, whether it's in the church, whether it's discipling, mentoring, whether it's in your own household, whether it's in your workplace, whatever it is, God is calling us to be role models, to make our lifestyle something that others can look up to. Don't just get up there and teach. This is Paul talking to Titus. Like, don't just get up there and teach and preach. Live it out. Be obedient to what you're teaching. They have that saying, um, do, do as I say, not as I do. No, we want to do both. We want to be obedient to what God's word says, but we also want to live it in our own lives, whether we're in public or whether we're in private. We don't want to have um, differences in our behavior depending on who we're around. We want to be steady. We want to let our lives be a, a pattern of good work, something that's not just on Thursdays and Sundays, but something that follows us every single day. There's a responsibility that each of us has from the Lord to model good behavior, to model what it's like to be a Christian woman to others. 
And then we can see how Paul could be reminding Titus this because he's in Crete. And as we studied before, Crete was not a place that was uh, living up to the word of God. There was a lot of compromising. There was a lot of idolatry and debauchery and different things like that in Crete. And probably some of those people profess to be Christians. And only God knows their heart, but their lifestyle did not match what they spoke. Their lifestyle did not match what they preached. And so we want to be careful about that. We want to take in the goodness of God and let his goodness overflow in our lives and outflow, outpour into the lives of those around us. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And If you've been a Christian for a while, or maybe a new Christian, have you read this verse, and have you read it freshly? Have you read that God has created each and every one of us in this room for his purposes? He created things for each of us to do, individually and then corporately. And have you asked him, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? What are these good works that I can do? Yes, we're saved by grace. Yes, we're saved by faith alone. What we do for the Lord does not get us saved. We're not earning points with the Lord. But we were created for this purpose. We were created to do good. Do you make your list in the morning like me? I make a list and and think about, you know, all these things that I have to do today. And then I'll just, if I'm in the mood, I might present it to the Lord and say, okay, please, God, give me the energy to do all these things that are on my list and please bless it too. Which isn't bad, but it's not correct. We need to ask the Lord, what's in your planner today? What do you have planned for me? And it doesn't have to be these great and humongous things. Sometimes it's just like telling your husband, you know, honey, I love you. Going and making a meal for a friend. It doesn't have to be these big, gigantic things. But it's important that we go before the Lord and we ask him, what do you want us to do? Our works are, there, are not for our salvation, but they are, should be a result of our salvation. And I just think that it's absolutely amazing that our God has prepared things for us to do. It's not like our kids. If we prepare a list for them, they get all angry about it. But God chooses to use us. He chooses to include us in his work. And asking the Lord each day to get in that habit of, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? James 1.22 tells us not to be just hearers of the word. We can hear message after message after message. But we're to be doers of God's work. And the way to be doers of God's work is to know what he wants us to do, right? So we have to ask him. We have to spend that time with him. And this pattern of good things continues in teaching, Paul says. He says to show integrity, to show purity when you're teaching, when you're handling the word of God. Have purity of heart. Don't take it lightly. You know, for preachers, it's not just something that they get up and do. But it's to have that purity of heart, to have reverence for the word of God. I love the worship songs that we were singing and just pointing our attention to the Lord and how holy the Lord is. And I thought about this, about the holiness 
of who God is and how easy it is for us to be so familiar, which is good. We want to be familiar with the Lord. But do we forget in that familiarity how holy he is? Do we have awe and reverence for our God? Or do we just say, oh, yeah, God. People say, oh, he's the big guy in the sky or he's the man upstairs. I think it would do us good if we sat if we sat in private, we sat alone with the Lord and just meditate on his holiness, on who he is, and have reverence. The Bible says that um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And when was the last time that you sat before the Lord and really said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty? And really thought about what that means. Not to take it lightly. Teaching his word without, uh, with incorruptibility. Not to corrupt the word of God. Again, this, you know, there's so many different styles of Bibles now. Different versions, different books, different colors. But these words inside are not just words. They're holy. They are holy words. Given by the Holy Spirit. So we don't want to corrupt what God has said. We don't want to have false teachers. We have enough false teachers in this world right now, whether they're in churches, whether on the TV or on the radio. We want to take these words and reverence the word of God, to take it as the true words of the Lord. Paul goes on to say, to have speech that cannot be condemned having wholesome speech. And the Lord really knocked me out on, um, on this. <laughs> Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion. Why? That it may give grace to those who hear. He's not making a suggestion here. Paul is saying, Let no corruption come out of our mouths, but only that which is good. How often, ladies, we find ourselves in conversations that it's so easy. We have safe friends. You know, I don't even like using the word, but it's like what the Lord had shown me years ago is that there's people I know I can talk, I can call up on the phone, or I could email when I was overseas and just rag on people, rag on my other sisters, rag on brothers in, in the Lord. And think I was safe because, you know, we have that relationship that we can trust each other to gossip about other people. We live in a volatile world right now, and everybody has a platform. We have Facebook. We have uh, all these things behind a computer screen. And unfortunately, with that, because we're not face-to-face, we're not looking this person in the eye, we feel like we're free to write whatever we want behind that screen. I tell you, sometimes I would write things and I thank God there was a delete button because I would run to the other room and then all of a sudden it was like, what in the world are you doing? What did you just do? And I have to hit delete and pray that nobody saw that before I deleted it because it's so easy. And we live in such a world where it's like, oh, just air your differences. Everything is an argument. Everything is a huge fight now. It's so volatile, and God does not want us to be part of it. He says in his word, uh, believe in Ephesians, 
Come out from among them and be ye separate. This is us. I don't care what other Christians are doing. God is calling us to be set apart. To not engage in what the rest of the world is doing. To not engage even what other Christians are doing. But to be set apart. When we lived in Italy, you know, if you're Italian... Uh, we argue. We argue about everything in Italy. Uh, Christians and non-Christians alike. Everything is, and you use your hands, and you do this. And I could probably get an A plus in the United States in arguing. Make my point and just argue and tell you why and use my hands and tell you even more and emphasize what I'm trying to say. We argued about it. We argued about... Honestly, one night, uh, is grana padano cheese better than parmigiano? <laughs> really? And it's like a two-hour argument. We argue about, do you salt the pasta water before it boils, or do you put the salt in after it boils? The answer is, after it boils. <laughs> because I said so. Um, and it was hard for me, because I get caught up in the culture. It was easy for me to just join in, like, ah, da, 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 da. And I'm not saying everybody is like that all the time, but it is a part of the culture. And so I had to ask the Lord and be reminded a lot of times to not engage, to guard my witness. And not just my witness, but my husband as the pastor of the church, I had to guard his witness and his credibility before the people. I'd have to remind myself that maybe, because I had a lot of unsaved friends in my ministry there, I just meet for coffee with people and go walking and talking, and the Lord would be in our conversations. But I had to remind myself, what about the strangers that are visiting? Maybe one day they're going to walk into the church, and they're going to see my husband up there, and then they're going to realize I'm married to him, and be like, what? What kind of a witness was I? Not very good. The world wants to tear apart Christians. The world wants to tear apart the church. We don't want to give them a reason. We want to live our lives in such a way that their accusations would have absolutely no standing. That if somebody comes to us and they can and accuses us of something, they would know, oh my gosh, that isn't true. I'm so sorry that I believe that about you. And I was praying about, you know, this particular portion of scripture and um, asking the Lord for some insight about it, you know, for us as women. And, um, and this word secrets came to my mind one night and, and how secrets in our lives can destroy our witness, how secrets in our lives can destroy the reputation of our family and our churches. And as I was praying, there was a word that came to my mind, and I've shared this word in other places before, but I really wanted to share it today. Not to condemn. Not to condemn. But just that the Lord might speak to our hearts. And that little word is just. Just a small little word. But it goes like this. I'm just going to have one drink to calm my nerves. I'm just going to meet him for coffee. We're just friends. My husband doesn't need to know about it. I'm just going to watch something on the internet. After all, it's in secret and it's just me and nobody else needs to know. 
I'm not hurting anybody. It's just me. It's just a little gossip. I'm just airing out a complaint against somebody else to someone else rather than that person. We need to be careful never to take these things lightly because the enemy so wants to wreak havoc in our lives. He wants to wreak havoc in our families, in our own personal hearts, in our own personal lives. Because you know what happens with secrets. You know when it starts out small and you think you're the only one. But when you have war between what is good and what is evil, we go crazy in our heads. And as we studied in the beginning, God wants us to be sober-minded. He wants us to be thinking clearly. He doesn't want anything interrupting our fellowship with him, our relationship with him. We don't want to give the enemy a foothold into our lives and destroy all that is sacred and all that is holy. We want to live our lives in such a way that others who look at us can have no accusation against us. Nothing they say would stick to them, to us, and they would be put to shame for daring to believe what somebody else said about us. We don't want to be known for having an argumentative spirit. You know how we can say, um, it's sunny outside, and then another person will say, well, not really. I see a few clouds. And I'm good. I, I perfected um, argumentativeness, or whatever you call it, uh, while, while I was in Italy. And I'm very good at arguing. And um, after last night, Jim and I were talking about this, and, and I said... Um, yeah, I thought about that statement, like being the devil's advocate. And you know how when we have conversations, we use that phrase? That's dumb. Like, that's a really stupid phrase to say, I'm just being the devil's advocate. Like, when you break that down, do you really want to advocate for the devil? Maybe we can just say, like, um, I'm going to say the other side. Because there are times God does call us to stand up. He's not making, we're not these little weaklings. There's times he calls us to rise up and to fight for what's right, to um, guard each other in in the uh, fellowship that he tells us to argue. There is a point in in life where he does call us to argue for the truth, but there's a way to do it. And we need to know the difference between getting our point across, right? Because when I argue, uh, I don't give up. Like, I want to have the last word. I want my husband or my friends or whoever is to say, okay, yeah, you're right, which never happens. But... I want that in my life. I'm just so stubborn. I'm so, um, uh, whatever it is, you know, I am that person. But God doesn't want us to be known for having an argumentative spirit. He wants us to stand up for the truth, but he wants us also to have all humility in our lives. Proverbs twenty nine eleven says, A fool vents all of his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. There is a time to speak up. There is a time to argue for what is right. But there is a time to hold back. There is a time, like we tell our kids, to zip your lips and throw away the key. And just let God work it out. Because we're only going to get frustrated and then we're only going to get people riled up. Especially politics is coming. We need to be careful. Stand up. Yes, stand up for the truth. And don't back down. Don't compromise in the truth. 
But no, to have discernment, have wisdom from the Lord, when to just stop the argument. Because um, somebody once told us, you can't reason with an unreasonable person. There's a lot of unreasonable people out there. So you choose your words wisely. Why? Because Paul tells us in verse 10 that we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And again, this is something that, you know, I've been a Christian for 30-something years, and I glanced over the word adorn. It never really stuck out to me before, before studying this. And um, I was just really struck by it. And God is saying that we would continually radiate the beauty of Christ, that we would display in our lives, in our walk, in our sphere of influence, we would display his grace, his truth, his love to those who are around us. And I had this analogy because um, those uh, award shows that they have for the celebrities, so whatever you want to call them, and they go to these award shows and these expensive designer clothes are given to them to wear for no money. Um, that's the only part I get jealous about. Um, it's like, well, I think I would look really good in that. But, um, you know, they're given these things. They're given all kinds of jewelry and their diamond earrings and necklaces and, and uh, bracelets with diamonds and sparkling and shining all around them. And they're representing, they're giving it for free because they're representing those designers. They're representing those jewelers. So that that person with the microphone that comes up to them and says, hey, so-and-so, who are you wearing tonight? And then they just have to shout it out loud, right? Because that's part of the, um, part of the bargain, that they say the designer's name or they say the jewelry store's name that gave them these beautiful things to adorn themselves with. But they have to give those back. They're not allowed to keep them. I don't think they're allowed to keep them, but um, they have to give them back at sometimes. But for us as God's precious daughters, he has entrusted us. Just as those people are entrusted with those expensive clothing and those expensive jewelries, God has given us so much more. God has given us, he has entrusted us with his holy word to take it in, to learn in it, to learn from it, to walk in it, to grow in it. We are adorning his attributes. All that God encompasses, he wants to lavish upon each of us as his daughters. He wants us to bring those attributes into our everyday situations. That as we live our lives yielded and empowered in him, then perhaps other people around us, maybe unsafe people, will say, hey, who are you wearing? And we can say, you know what, I, I, I chose to put on the Lord Jesus Christ today and make no provision for my flesh. So when we go into our workplaces, when they know some tragedies that might be going on in our lives, when they know our children are sick, when they know we're out of work or something like that, but they see how we, how we are responding, when they see this trust that we have, we don't have a trust that we know how things are going to work out. But we know that God has promised that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's given us that promise. And so when we respond in these ways in our sphere of influence, then people can ask us, how? How can you do that? 
How can you have promise in the future? How can you have this uh, cheeriness about you? And we can turn around and tell them the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and so I think that we can ask ourselves, what are we adorning? What are we wearing? Who are we putting on every day when we walk out that door or when we get up from our bed? Are we putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we putting on tender mercies? Are we putting on his grace, his love? Is that what people will notice about us when they look at us? Or are we going to choose to represent the enemy with our speech, with our thoughts, with our little just things? No, we want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask ourselves in our speech, is our speech seasoned with grace? Our motives, are our motives self-centered or are they Christ-centered? Our actions, are they bringing glory to ourselves? Are we doing things just so people will praise us and say, add a girl? Or are we desiring to bring glory and honor to Jesus, to point others to ourselves or to point them to Jesus? that everything that we do would bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. So may may we women, all of us women in this room, be known for adorning our Savior Jesus Christ and his word. May we be those who make a habit of doing what is good, do the good thing, do what is holy and what is honorable, that our lights would shine brightly in this dark and gloomy world and others would see the good that we do and they would give all the glory to God. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, your word is a lamp into our feet, Lord, and wherever we walk in this life, Lord, wherever you choose for us to go, we want to be those who shine brightly for you. God, your word is uh, powerful. Lord, sometimes you use it to encourage us, but you also use it to convict us and to challenge us where we're at, Lord. And each of us knows those areas in our life that we have yet to surrender to you, Lord, that we have yet to just lift up our hands and say, we're all yours, our holy God. King of kings, the Lord of lords, and how amazing it is that you call us your daughters, Lord, that you love us, but you love us enough not to let us stay where we're at. You love us enough to work in us and to work through us, to take those areas in our life, Lord, where we've compromised or where we haven't given you 100%. And we want to be those women today, Lord, that just surrender, that just offer 100% of ourselves to you, that you would have your way in us, Lord. We pray that you would bless our time in our groups and uh, that we would glorify you, not just only in our words, but also in the things that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.